Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host Icy Sedgwick, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore with me your host Icy Sedgwick. And as I always say every week, if you have been here before, welcome back. Now we're going to be continuing July's theme of aquatic mythology because obviously this is holiday season and most people are heading away to warmer climes. Obviously if you like me or in Newcastle pretty much anywhere is warmer climes. But enough said about that. I'm actually unfortunately not going on holiday this year so I will be very jealous of everywhere that you're going. But anyway... This month so far we've looked at Selkies last week which is obviously the really lovely mythology that surrounds the Shetland Islands and other parts of the world including Iceland and the Faroe Islands and this week we're going to be having a look at mermaids because obviously you can't do aquatic mythology and not mention mermaids and obviously if you mention mermaids to most people they'll probably think of Ariel from The Little Mermaid of Disney's 1989 classic. Obviously, I'm not going to lie, I'm very much Team Ursula for most of that film, but that's another story. Some people also might think of Daryl Hannah in Splash, if you're old enough. Obviously, mermaids have been with us since well before the 1980s, as I'm sure you're already aware. Hans Christian Andersen actually published his Little Mermaid fairy tale back in 1837, and it was here that he added a slightly softer side to these folkloric creatures. Bearing in mind, I did mention last week that some people think he may have actually been influenced by selkie stories rather than traditional mermaid stories but obviously the disney version kind of further sanitized them and even turned triton into the ruler of the sea now the reason why i bring this up is because in greek mythology triton is actually the son of poseidon god of the sea and he's actually more of a herald or a messenger and he gives rise to a whole host of tritons who are sea dwelling creatures that escort marine gods and goddesses so basically rather than him ruling the sea he kind of potters about you know running errands and and carrying messages and escorting other gods and goddesses but it does seem that in some ways the tritons gave rise to slightly more modern conceptions of the mermaid and if you go to my blog post about this one which is icysedgwick.com forward slash mermaids hyphen folklore you can see a brilliant picture of a triton from a book from 1710 now i should point out that half-human, half-fish deities actually stretched all the way back to ancient Babylon and their sea god A. And ancient Syria also had a half-human, half-fish fertility goddess, Atargetus. So, you know, they do have quite a long lineage. But they've largely entered European mythology by the writings of Pliny the Elder. He actually described the Nereids, who are water nymphs who are half-fish, half-human. And some of the stories confuse mermaids with sirens, which we'll talk about next week which is why I'm kind of skipping over the Greeks a little bit here. But Pliny did discuss sea men, careful I'll pronounce that, who climbed up onto ships under the cover of night, and they basically just kind of sat on the side, and their weight would actually cause the boats to sink on that side. And obviously if they sat there long enough, then the whole boat would kind of tip over. And in general, people kind of believe mermen would drown sailors, call up storms, and sink ships. Although, weirdly, they don't appear in, in the stories as often. 
But today, we're going to go on a whistle-stop tour of mermaid folklore and legend. Obviously, there are so many more stories than the ones that I'm covering here, but obviously for time and space, that's why we're just going to stick to these ones for now. So we're going to start off in Europe, and as I say, we're going to skip over Greek mythology because that's going to be more relevant in the Sirens episode. But after they make their debut in Greek mythology, you then see mermaids appearing in the lore of the Middle Ages. And there's actually a 15th century Nuremberg Bible, which has a woodcut in it, depicting mermaids frolicking in the water around Noah's Ark. So clearly they weren't particularly bothered by the rising sea levels caused by the flood. And I have actually written blog posts about European mermaids before. There's one in Venice and Doxypool between Derbyshire and Staffordshire. And I'll put the links to both of those below if you'd like to read the posts. But here... The name mermaid apparently comes from the Old English word mere, which means sea, and either maid, woman or man, hence mere maid or mere man. And in Seduction and the Secret Power of Women, the lure of sirens and mermaids, Mary Lau actually talks about a legend involving the beautiful maidens who live in the sea around the Shetland Islands. Now this is quite an interesting one because she describes them as being shapeshifters, where they wear the skin of a fish in the water, and then they take that off and become a human on land. And if they lose their fish skin, then they can't return to the water. Now, if you listen to the Selkies episode last week, you go, hang on a minute, that sounds really familiar. So if you swap the fish skin for a seal skin, the tales between mermaids and Selkies in this regard are actually really similar. There's also a ballad called The Ballad of Clerk Colville and the Mermaid, which is an incomplete English ballad about, yes, you guessed it, a mermaid, There are variations on the tale, but the main gist of it seems to be there's a man named Clark Colville, hence the title, and his wife asks him to stay away from a particular body of water, and different variations give different named bodies of water. And whichever one it ends up being, he ignores her advice, and while he's there, he ends up meeting a mermaid. She seduces him in some way, but he ends up suddenly getting this colossal headache. And in some versions... He leaves her, and then he dies from this headache at home. And then in other versions, she actually offers him the chance to save himself by going to sea with her. And he refuses, and then dies anyway. Now, the ballad is unfinished. In whichever version you read, there's quite clearly part of it missing, and it's the same part of it that's missing. So nobody actually really knows what happens between Clark Colville and the mermaid. And some people say the headache and subsequent death is punishment for his infidelity. So in this case... No, the mermaid isn't necessarily being vicious, as the legends would suggest. She's not being malicious. She's actually just punishing him for something he's done wrong. And she does actually even offer a get-out clause, but he doesn't take it. But, you know, he pursues a mermaid while his wife waits at home. And this basically underlines the way that many mermaids across these stories end up being portrayed as overtly sexual, luring men to their untimely ends. We're going to try a completely different thing now. So if we go to France, Luxembourg, Albania or Germany, you might see the symbol of Melusine, which is basically a human figure from the waist up and then from the waist down. She's basically a mermaid with two tails, or sometimes it's two serpents' tails. And in most versions of this story, because again there's variations, a king marries a fairy. She makes him promise not to visit her if she has children. No idea why, the story doesn't explain that, but for some reason, if she has babies, he can't come and visit her. Obviously, he forgets, and he goes to see her after she gives birth to female triplets, because he's obviously quite over the moon about this. The fairy goes, hang on, you've broken your word, you promised you wouldn't do this, and takes their daughters. 
15 years later, she finally tells the girls why they don't live with their father, and the eldest daughter, Melusine, hatches a plan. She and her sisters then shut their father up in a mountain in revenge, which does seem a little bit like overkill. Now, their mother isn't particularly impressed with what they've done, and she actually curses Melusine to take the form of a serpent from the waist down every Saturday, and in some stories it's a fish's tail. She ends up managing to get married to someone, but obviously because it's a fairy tale it all goes wrong, because one day her husband ends up spying on her on this particular Saturday in the month, and realises that, my God, she's a monster, casts her out, and then she basically spends her days wandering around looking for redemption. Now, interestingly, the Lusignan royal house in France claimed to be her descendants, and I actually found a Melusine at the Chateau de Haute-Königsberg in Alsace in 2017, which is quite cool. But you'll notice it's a jewel-tailed mermaid. Have a think, where have you seen that before? The Starbucks logo, maybe? So have a look at the Starbucks next time you go. Now, the Netherlands is the next stop on our little whistle-stop tour. They have their own mermaid story from the early 15th century, and I've actually seen 1403 bandied around quite a lot. And according to this legend, there was this awful storm that actually broke a hole in a dike, and she basically ends up in Edam because she's sort of tossed through it, but then she can't get back out again. And eventually, the townsfolk finally get close enough to her to clear all the sea moss off her. Now, in the version of the story that I found, they discovered she was actually a regular woman underneath. So they obviously cleaned her up, took her away, and ended up teaching her how to spin. And she was actually even buried in the churchyard when she died. Now, you do have to question if this was an actual mermaid, because, you know, she didn't have a tail. So it's more likely that she was a woman who fell overboard and was just washed through the dike during a storm. But still, it makes a nice story nonetheless. And it does also have a completely different ending from most mermaid stories in that she basically becomes a productive member of the community and is quite beloved by that community. Unlike any of the mermaids that you get in Japan, which is the next stop on our tour. Now, the first recorded account of a Japanese mermaid goes back to 619 and someone apparently caught a mermaid and brought it to the Emperor Suko. Now, she actually kept the mermaid in a tank to amuse visitors, so you do have to wonder exactly what it was that somebody caught and what was on display. But elsewhere, you might encounter the kappa. So these child-sized mermaids are a bit more like animals than we're used to. And they actually challenge humans to games. And if you lose, you die. Which seems like quite a high price to pay. And kappa quite like eating children and lone swimmers. So obviously this is if you're out swimming somewhere quite isolated or away from civilization, You're more at risk from the kappa. There's also the ningyo, which is a Japanese version of the mermaid. But they're really, really different from what we imagine a mermaid to be in the West. And they're often pictured as a fish with a human face. Sometimes they've got fangs or horns. And if you do get one that more closely resembles a Western mermaid, they're often quite demonic or terrifying. And catching a ningyo actually brings storms to your village, so it's not a good idea. But at the same time, eating the flesh of one would actually give you eternal youth and beauty. So it's one of those kind of double-edged swords of how much are you willing to risk for eternal youth and beauty. Now we're going to move forward in time to the New World and Captain John Smith, yes he of Pocahontas fame, apparently saw a mermaid off the coast of Newfoundland in 1614 and he actually notes our long green hair that doesn't put him off finding her attractive. And even Christopher Columbus took a detour in 1493 to see a mermaid near the Dominican Republic. The Admiral apparently saw one, although many modern commentators actually think he saw a manatee instead. What John Smith saw as anybody's guess because manatees generally don't move that far up the coast. 
But many people do believe that mermaid sightings were actually manatees or dugongs, and they've got really quite flat tails that are a lot closer to the descriptions of mermaids than dolphins or seals. And if you think about it, if you've seen this, this strange creature at a distance or in low light, you can see why some people might get confused, particularly because I've no idea how many people were short-sighted in those days. And if they're anything like me, you can see all sorts at a distance if you've not got glasses on. But we absolutely cannot discuss mermaids without mentioning the Fiji mermaid displayed by P.T. Barnum in the 1840s. Now, I haven't seen the Hugh Jackman film about him, but I bet this isn't in it. Now, with the Fiji mermaid, its upper body is that of a monkey and the lower body is actually that of a fish. It's absolutely gross as well. If you, you can Google it or, as I say, if you have a look at the blog post, you'll see the picture of it. Now, an American sea captain actually bought the mermaid in 1822 from Japanese sailors, so they convinced him that it was real. And he then leased it to Barnum in 1842 to try and raise publicity for the Boston Museum. Now, as part of this publicity stunt, Barnum actually created pamphlets detailing mermaids and what they were like, and quite a lot of people then basically fell for the ruse, although it has become something of a tired trope now. Although that didn't stop the X-Files doing an episode in which Mulder and Scully investigated a series of murders that was potentially committed by one. And I remember that episode, it was really quite creepy, but that was when the X-Files was good. Now we're going to come right up to date at the end of our little whistle-stop tour into 2009. And people actually sighted a mermaid off the coast of Israel. And according to the eyewitnesses, this this mermaid had just been lying on the sand, probably sunbathing, and then suddenly took to the water when she was approached. And they only noticed that something might be amiss when they saw her tail. Now, the tourist board from the town actually offered a $1 million reward for photos, although no one has actually yet claimed the reward. So, are mermaids vicious? Because that is the title of this podcast episode. Now, in the stories that we've covered today, it's a bit of an even spread. You've got the mermaids of the Shetland Islands who just like shapeshifting or you've got the apparent Israeli mermaid who just quite like sunbathing rather than luring anyone to their death. But then you've got the Japanese mermaids which will snack on the unwary and obviously there's the legions of tales which we haven't covered here about the mermaids who would lure you off course or raise a storm, again many of which are confused with sirens. And in some legends the mermaids distract the sailors to run the ships aground on purpose and in others, it's a complete accident the mermaids just happen to be there and they actually attempt to save the sailors but then accidentally drown them. In these cases, the mermaids either don't know or forget that humans can't breathe underwater. But it's more likely, ultimately, that mermaids came to represent a fear of water, particularly the sea. And in an era when the cause of storms probably wasn't understood, blaming mermaids would seem to provide an answer. And it's the kind of thing where you go, ooh, if you don't want X to happen, make sure that you do Y. So if you do something to appease the mermaids or avoid the mermaids, so if you think, ooh, this area has a lot of mermaids sunbathing on rocks, we'll avoid the area, well, then you're less likely to hit the rocks, aren't you? So it, it, in some kind of ways, it does make sense. And if you also add any delirium caused by ingesting seawater or spending long periods of time at sea without any shade from the sun, you would probably start seeing all sorts and hearing lots of things singing to you as well. So that is our quick tour of mermaid stories. This episode has gone a little bit longer than usual because there's just so much to cover. Obviously, as I say, I've taken quite a lot of it out because that's going to be in the Sirens episode, which is going to be next week. So I hope you enjoy that one. And then we'll do Nyad's last. So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. As ever, you can 
sponsor the show on Patreon for a dollar a month if you so desire. And that obviously does help me keep making more of them. And if you have any requests for any posts, please feel free to drop me a line on Twitter or send me an email. So I'll put all the gubbins and all the bits and pieces that you need in the show notes. And otherwise, I'll let you go and do whatever it was that you were doing before you hit play. And I will see you next week. Cheerio. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to subscribe using whichever podcast app it is that you prefer. If you do use iTunes, if you could leave me a review, that would be fab. Basically, it just means iTunes are more likely to recommend this to other people. And if you're interested in more folklore, please feel free to swing by my blog, which is www.icsedgwick.com. And that's Sedgwick spelled S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. And you can find all of the links, images and other bits and pieces that hopefully you enjoy. So have an absolutely fab week ahead and I'll see you soon. Cheerio.